1: Yes, we won best um comedy club of the year. <laughs> This is all real, right? But you know what we really do? This is what we do. We have conversations, we have debates, we discuss the real issues of the day. We hear from these underdogs here, a guy who was an underdog for county commissioner and ended up winning, a guy who was an underdog for the alderman, he ended up winning. We are those people. We really have the conversation. We really talk it out. We really walk, we really go door to door. We really cross state lines in order to foment revolution. We really do it. It all happens right here. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Ben Jarovski and Maya, and welcome to First Tuesdays.
2: All right, Tim, thank you very much. Thank you for that rousing welcome. welcome. We got all the mics straightened out here.
0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to First Tuesdays. Uh, I sense a lot of nervous confusion in the audience tonight. <laughs> we promise we're going to get right into that energy very soon. Um, I'm Maya Dukmasova, I'm a Staff Writer Chicago Reader.
2: Ben Jarofsky, Chicago Reader. Uh,
0: And we are very happy that you're joining us with (laughs) 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 our guests, uh, Alderman Carlos Ramirez-Rosa and Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson. And we're just going to jump right into it. So um, would you guys please, both of you, explain? Introduce yourselves. Explain who you are, uh, what your job is. You know what, you, what you're doing for the for the people of this city and this county. And uh, as probably most people here have heard, uh, you're each of you very passionate about one of the presidential candidates. You're working with their campaigns actively. So explain who that is and 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 why you're um, why you're behind that candidate. Go ahead, Brandon. All right.
3: Well, good evening, everyone. Uh, this is a fascinating-looking room. I think it looks like most of the precincts in Iowa. Uh, <laughs> so we're going go to go and get this party started the right way. We <laughs> love you. All right. Um, so good evening. My name is Brandon Johnson. I am proud over the last year th- to have the opportunity to represent the first district of Cook County as a Cook County Commissioner, West Side, Western Suburbs, and of course my true uh, trade. Our practice is that of a public school teacher and that's the best job quite frankly that I've ever had proud member of the Chicago Teachers Union so I'll, I'll be brief um, you know th- this uh, election cycle really came down to a couple of things for me um, I wanted to take a real closer look a- at how our progressive our left movement can have the opportunity to expand and what is becoming increasingly clear um, is that there is a deep concentration of hardcore progressive voters, particularly here in Chicago. And there are those who I believe want to be aligned with us, but for whatever reason, um, they struggle um, to connect with our, our brand of politics for a variety of reasons, which some of them we'll get into to tonight. And so one of the things that jumps out uh, for me in this election is making sure that we're not afraid to talk about the, the clear distinctions that exist within people groups in America. So we have the state of Iowa in which 3% of the population there is black, though 30% of them make up the prison population. And somehow this is supposed to be a state that we feel comfortable setting the trajectory of who would be the nominee coming from a state that, quite frankly, the Democratic Party will probably won't win in November anyways. And so for me, when I look at Senator Warren's vision uh, for America, her ability to speak across Um, progressive lines but specifically speak to the black agenda It's something that I believe that our movement has to be far more um, courageous about and more intentional about Um, and absent that type of focus and concentration particularly with the base within the party who ultimately will carry um, whoever the the eventual nominee is along um, that was important to me as someone who represents a black district who ran on a left platform and struggled with black voters. And if we're going to be honest about how we build the radical left and build an alternative to what we know needs to happen within the Democratic Party, and dare I say, it's pretty clear um, that uh, the two-party system is, 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 is weakening. Um, and so having a black agenda that speaks directly Um, to communities that, quite frankly, those of us on the left have to do a better job at communicating with and connecting to the larger, broader struggle. If you can't speak directly with a clear agenda to black voters, um, then I believe that's a narrow focus that misses the mark, and so that was a big reason why I'm with Senator Warren.
0: Thank you. Carlos, go ahead.
4: Lots of cords and lots of drinks. Um, Yes. um, All right, perfect. Thank you so much. Uh, so my name is Carlos Ramirez-Rosa, and I'm very proud to represent the 35th ward uh, now in my second term. Uh, prior to becoming a alderman here in the great city of Chicago, I was a deportation defense organizer with the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights, showing people their power to be able to stop deportations, their power to come together to fix our unjust and broken immigration system, um, and as. I've had the great honor and privilege of continuing that work, um, but in different ways. Standing with black communities, as they say, No Cop Academy. Standing with undocumented immigrant organizers, as they say, Let's close the loopholes in our sanctuary city ordinance and make Chicago a true sanctuary for all. Um, and standing with communities fighting against displacement and fighting against, uh, you know, big developers and big landlords that are making housing increasingly unaffordable in so many of our historically working class and diverse communities. So I'm for Bernie Sanders because we absolutely must defeat Donald Trump. But we must not only defeat Donald Trump, we have to defeat Trumpism. And the way that you defeat Trump is exactly what Bernie says. Number one, we need the largest voter turnout in the history of this nation. That is the only way that you will defeat Donald Trump. When you look at the polling and when you look at the presidential years and who turns out to vote. Sorry, folks in this room, but when you rely on white voters to decide who's going to be president, a Republican wins every single time. You can look at year after year after year. And in modern American history, when we have elected a Democrat, it has been because young people and people of color have shown up in droves. There is only one candidate and one campaign right now that is bringing out young people and people of color in droves in places we haven't seen before. We saw it just yesterday in Iowa where in satellite locations for meatpacking workers that had to work the second and third shift, eight Ethiopian immigrant workers showed up and voted for Bernie Sanders. 14 out of the 15 people that showed up to that satellite caucus were people of color, were meatpackers, and they all preferred Senator Sanders. If you look at the Latino uh, precincts in Iowa, Bernie Sanders wiped out. And you don't just have to look at the results yesterday, you can look at the polling, where Bernie Sanders now leads with black people under the age of 35. And Bernie doesn't lead with non-white voters. He does. I mean, but he leads with those voters, not because of a cult of personality, not because he says that he has hot sauce in his bag,
5: <laughs> but because he's
4: speaking to the issues that are impacting people of color in this nation. And he's speaking to it in a way that's authentic and that is true to who he has been throughout his entire life. So when he says that on day one, he's going to undo the unjust anti-immigrant executive orders that Donald Trump is putting forward right now, I believe him. And I know that he's responding directly to an immigrant-led, undocumented-led movement that has said, stop deportations. When Bernie Sanders says that he's going to use the power of the presidency to cancel all student debt, that is something that will have a disproportionate, positive impact on young people of color that are drowning in that student debt right now as they try to get it ahead in this country. When Bernie Sanders says that he's going to deliver on Medicare for all and fight valiantly for Medicare for all and force Congress and push forward a movement to win that, that Medicare for all issue is such an important thing for everyone in this country, right? Particularly those that have been most impacted by a broken healthcare system. So that's why i for Senator Sanders. Did, so I'll go on forever
0: about that. So let's, uh, Ben, why don't you set some ground rules also uh, b- and before you get to the yeah, next all right. question. So the... Uh, first of all, everybody please silence your cell phones. Number one yeah. ground rule.
2: Uh, I know these two gentlemen very well. They've both been on my show. I've had many conversations with them, and one thing both of them have the gift of is the ability to talk. So yeah. I love them dearly for that. Yeah. Uh, I only ask that you try not just to hog all the time because you want to share it. I don't want you guys fighting over time. So the way I, I, told, I had a conversation with Carlos before, I didn't get a chance to talk to you, Brandon. The way we're going to generally do this uh, is. I'll ask a question. I'm, the next question will go to Carlos, and then you get a chance t- uh, to respond. If, if Carlos, you hear something that's so outrageous or so provocative that you want to respond then do so without a question, and then you have the rebuttal, and then we move on to the next thing. So those are the ground rules we're going to have. Does
3: anybody understand any of that? (laughs) (laughs)
2: It's like
3: explaining the weight of votes in Iowa. It's like, Uh, that's what really happened.
2: Hey, man, it took me less than it took them to count the votes in Iowa. Um, So anyway, we'll start with Carlos, and I'm just going to piggyback on something Brandon said uh, that I thought was really a a, a very important point, and uh, sort of uh, get it asked the question to Bernie. He talked about uh, the black agenda and uh, how, in his opinion, Elizabeth Warren is keyed in on that. Uh, one of the criticisms uh, levied at Bernie in 2016 is that he didn't have a strong outreach in the black community. Uh, and uh, that's why he lost the, the election to Hillary Clinton. So address the issue of what you think the black agenda is and whether, and whether Bernie is addressing it.
4: Well, so you know, it's not up to me to decide what the black agenda is. It's up to me as a non-black politician to listen to black leaders that are in the fight for social economic justice and racial justice and follow their lead. And Senator Sanders uh, has been very clear that his platform on the black agenda is going to be ridden by black people. And that's exactly why the Dream Defenders, which is a black-led organization in Florida that has been at the forefront of the fight for racial justice, endorsed Bernie Sanders. But when they endorsed him, they said, we're not just endorsing a candidate, we're endorsing a movement. And that's a movement to make sure that we are fixing our broken criminal justice system. That's a movement to make sure that we have living wages. That's a movement that ensures that we are addressing the historical inequities that have disproportionately impacted the black community. Um, So if you look at Senator Sanders' uh, leadership team, uh, he has amazing black leaders there, like Nina Turner. He has uh, Breanne Joy, who is his amazing communications director. Um, So if you actually look at the majority of Bernie Sanders' campaign staff right now, it is women of color. So I think Bernie Sanders very clearly at the beginning of this race said, I heard about the mistakes that my campaign and that I made in 2016. He owned them and he addressed them by empowering women of color to be the folks making the strategic decisions in his campaign right now. So this is a campaign right now that is led primarily by women of color. Um, But most importantly, I think Bernie Sanders has shown time and time again that he will adopt an agenda that is written by the activists and the organizers on the ground. And I think that's why you see Bernie Sanders right now leading uh, in endorsements from non-white led organizations. So he has the endorsement from the Dream Defenders. He has the endorsement from the Make the Road uh, PAC, which is an immigrant-led organization throughout the East Coast. He has the endorsement from um, United Working Families right here in the city of Chicago. That's the big endorsement that Bernie Sanders won yesterday. Um, And he also has the endorsement of um, lots of other uh, organizations uh, like Center for Popular Democracy, uh, People's Action. So a lot of organizations that have strong networks of activists, primarily people of color on the ground increasingly are just a turning to Bernie Sanders. But I also really like that Bernie Sanders really understands the intersectionality of these issues. And he understands it better than most of the media. When Bernie Sanders was asked about trans issues, one of the first things he started talking about was Medicare for All, because he understands how Medicare is a trans issue. When Bernie Sanders was asked about racial issues, one of the first things that he at- talked about was climate change and environmental injustice because he understands how climate change and environmental racism disproportionately impacts communities of color. So um, yeah, I think that Bernie is really listening to the grassroots, and
2: that's exactly the type of president that we need. All right, Brandon. Uh, let me uh, rephrase the question that I asked him for you. Uh, you you start off by saying that you felt uh, that um, Elizabeth Warren uh, is uh, really keyed into the Black agenda. So a two part really. Uh, are, are you concerned that Bernie Sanders is not keyed in to what you consider the black agenda? And then also talk about, uh, Carlos has been uh, hitting hard on the thought that Bernie Sanders is the best suited to defeat Trump. What about Elizabeth Warren's ability in that area?
3: Yeah, look, Donald Trump uh, has to go away. You know, the, the, the challenge though that we have is that it's very difficult for us to see and imagine, and this is the part that I do agree with the Alderman around, it's hard for us to imagine what that means in November if you cannot excite your Democratic base. And the fact of the matter is, though, Alderman, turnout was low yesterday. It was actually pretty embarrassingly low. And it was even lower amongst black voters. They're not excited. That's a recipe for disaster. And what I'm saying is that as much as I do appreciate um, Senator Sanders' approach to uh, towards building a working class movement, there's a reason why the core base of Black voters are still holding true with 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 Joe Biden. Um, and having spent some time in Iowa and obviously knocking doors here in Chicago, just having Black leadership around you, that's that's not good enough. Rahm Emanuel had more Black folks in his cabinet than any other administration, and he also uh, administered one of the greatest terrorist attacks that we've seen. Uh, in Chicago's history by closing a massive number of of schools, the largest number of black schools in the entire history of the world, of which 1,000 students are still missing from that. What I'm offering to the first part of your question is that the the concern that we should have on the left, when you talk about Medicare for all and the people who will be impacted by it, when you talk about student loan forgiveness, there are the, the greatest concentration of any subgroup in college right now, it's black women. So yes, Like, getting rid of student debt is a big deal. But you just can't blow past the issue using intersectionality as an excuse to not speak directly to the issues. And so what does that mean? It means $50 billion for historically black colleges and universities. We helped write that plan. And the Senator Warren is running on that. Why is that important? One-third of all public school teachers that are black are going to come out of HBCUs. We know that black teachers have been decimated in this city. If you can't speak specifically to the issues that impact one of the largest groups of voters that will vote in a block, there is no other people group in America outside of Native Americans with that type of volume that are gonna vote in a block. If you can't speak directly to those issues, yes, Ben, I'm concerned about that. And it's not about the presidential election alone. It's about our movement here in Chicago. There's a reason why we have people like Jeanette Taylor. There's a reason why you have people like myself. I don't like to give myself too much credit, but running and winning as a black leftist against the black political establishment, let me tell y'all, that's hard. (laughs) And Carlos was there for me, and many folks in this room were there for me. What I'm saying is, if we're gonna build a radical left movement, absent black liberation, the fact that we're not even giving the true credit to to Medicare for All to the person who actually was murdered over it. Fred Hampton opened up clinics and hired black doctors. This is not white liberation from the northeast side of, 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 of the country. The black liberation movement for Medicare for All has its roots right here in the city of Chicago. Every child in America will have free lunch and free breakfast tomorrow because of what the Black Panthers did. And so we have to take ownership of those of us on the left actually giving credit to the people who fought and died for a left radical liberation that, quite frankly, cannot be confined to the couple of white folks in the northeastern part of the state, of the country. You
2: well, got, do you have any response?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, turnout was not the same that we saw in 2008. And what that means is that there's no Barack Obama in this race. Elizabeth Warren is not Barack Obama. Pete Buttigieg is Barack, not Barack Obama. Bernie Sanders is not Barack Obama. But the question is of the candidates that are running right now who is most motivating and winning over the demographics that we need to turn out in order to win and there's no question if you look at the results from yesterday if you look at the polling moving forward it's bernie sanders elizabeth warren just pulled three hundred thousand dollars in ads from south carolina so if you want to talk about who's reaching black voters and who's doing the work to get out there The proof is in the pudding, it's Bernie Sanders. But the last thing I'll say is that, you know, the Dream Defenders, what I love about their endorsement, if you go to their website, right, and again, this is the black-led youth organization in Florida, which is a critical state that we have to win, um, they start their endorsement of Bernie Sanders with a quote from Fred Hampton. And what they say is, you don't fight racism with racism. Right? You don't fight capitalism with black capitalism. You fight capitalism with socialism. And I think that they are speaking to the history of black radicalism. They are speaking to that view of a black liberation movement uh, when they're endorsing Bernie Sanders. And I, and I really urge people to, to read their endorsement. Uh,
0: all right, so you brought up Mayor Pete. Let's, uh, let's get to the issue of the day here, which is that, per the latest news that I heard before the show started, is that Pete Buttigieg has has won the Iowa caucus based on 60% of the precincts reporting uh, is, I mean, unless someone has more updated information. That's the last I heard, that he was ahead based with uh, on 60% of the, that's winning. yeah. So he's, he's, he's in the process of seeming to come out at number one. So I just, would, would both of you please explain, like talk about what you're hearing as an explanation for how this happened or what happened from your respective Candidates' camps. Uh, Carlos, go ahead. Did, what, what, what is the, what are you, what is your understanding of what's happening based on what you're hearing from the Bernie campaign?
4: Well, I think one, we should all be really proud uh, that the two progressives in the race combined got close to 47 percent of the votes so far, uh, nearly half. Uh, so kudos to uh, Senator Sanders uh, and uh, Senator Warren. Uh, the popular vote right now, if you look at the total number of votes. Bernie Sanders has gotten more votes in this race than anybody else thus far in this campaign. So no one ever said it was gonna be easy. Uh, You know one of the key distinctions between uh, Barack Obama uh, and Bernie Sanders is that Barack Obama was not attacked viciously the way that the corporate media, the way that super PACs have attacked Bernie Sanders throughout this entire cycle. There is no denying that. Washington Post published 16 negative articles on Bernie Sanders in 16 hours, a record breaking number of negative articles.
0: But I mean like what are you hearing from the campaign about what's going on in Iowa?
4: Oh well, oh in terms of like is there a conspiracy? What's happening? What we're hearing is we kicked ass. We did an amazing job. Uh, we went out there and had one of the largest volunteer operations uh, in the history of this nation, um, and we turned out people that have never turned out and were unlikely to turn out to Iowa caucuses before. So, for example, if you look at the the stories of Spanish, so throughout the state of Iowa, they created six Spanish caucus locations. So these were caucus locations that would be held in Spanish, because the feeling was, if you were a dominant Spanish speaker, you would not turn out to a caucus where everything was held and organized in English, right? Caucuses uh, involve a lot of speaking. It's a meeting. There's discourse happening. So they said, let's have Spanish caucus meetings. Bernie Sanders won every single one of them. I mean, it was a blowout. So that is tremendous. And and I think the campaign is very proud of what we've accomplished.
3: Well, I mean, look, one of the things that impressed me most about you know, Iowa um, was S- Senator Warren's commitment to making sure that we're going to beat Trump um, in November. That's a big deal. We want him gone. Um, and we also want to win elections, elections that are, are, are closer to home. And, you know, the what I've heard from the operations there, um, first of all, let me just say, um, Bernie volunteers, when I was in Iowa those couple of weekends, they just come out of everywhere they just they're, they were just coming out of trees just kind of coming up through the asphalt uh they were they were pretty deep it, you know i would walk a precinct and we would walk through and there'd be no one there and we would talk and knock doors and leave literature and then come back around and then somehow just bernie ghosts just kind of just appeared so that was actually impressive to see the type of like operation there um senator warren's operation has been there longer they were deeper they had to be there longer because, you know, folks had a four-year head start in many um, instances. And so, the, the, what we're hearing from the campaign is that, you know, we knew it was going to be difficult um, for for many folks. When I endorsed Elizabeth Warren way back in June or August, when I made it official, I mean, she was polling fourth, fifth place. No one even gave her a chance. Um, what I actually found fascinating, though, um, the the big takeaway that we have there are two things. The the only person in the race that has ever outpolled um, uh, Joe Biden, this was for a two-week period, was Elizabeth Warren. There was a brief moment, very brief. Um, and so what, what that says to me is that it certainly talks about, like, and in this instance, that her ceiling is still pretty high.
0: But are you surprised that it's Mayor Pete that's pulling ahead there? And how? What does this say about the path forward and how to deal with this being the?
3: Sure, that's what I'm getting at. And so no, I'm not not surprised. Look, let's just be real. Did anybody know that the rural counties had a higher weighted vote than other? Oh. I mean, I, I, maybe a I few mean, some folks. Some people knew. might not know. That's, can you what I'm saying is that the, the fact. I mean, I think this is what al- the alderman was getting at. The fact that Iowa turned into more of an electoral college presentation. I'm going to be honest with you, having studied this for a little bit, this was news to me, that somehow that if you were older and whiter and you lived on a farm, that your vote had more value than folks in Davenport and Waterloo. And so the takeaway from this is that you still have a system that is inherently corrupt by the the corporate interests that run both political parties, quite frankly. And this is why we have to continue to move ahead. The fact of the matter is, you still don't have the type of diversity makeup Within the democratic primary of folks that we can actually select from, and so, I mean, our resolve is what it is. But it didn't surprise us that that Mayor Pete, um, someone who speaks to like the the most simplistic form of like what people desire in this moment, that that actually played well in the very places that Donald Trump won it. Right? And so, no, there wasn't a surprise. And so that's why we have to double down on our efforts to continue to is move. Is it dunk on Pete time? Move our efforts forward. <laughs> <laughs> what is, uh, go, ahead. Go, go ahead, Carlos. Is it, it dunk on Pete oh, um, time?
4: So <laughs> you know, I, I spent uh, four weekends uh, in Iowa uh, in January. And very early on, it was clear to me that Pete was the guy to beat. Um, If you looked at yard signs, which I know yard signs don't vote, but in Iowa, it's like a religion and everyone's used to it. So people really put yard signs out and people really get involved in terms of who they're going to caucus for. Um, Those were the only caucus signs that I saw. I did not see any volunteers for Joe Biden. Uh, The last weekend that I was there, I saw two volunteers for Elizabeth Warren. We were very cordial. We wished each other well. It was great. Part of (laughs) unity.
0: <laughs> they weren't coming out of trees.
2: Um,
3: but in the words of my sister Stacy, now that's just petty. <laughs> um, but I think that um, you
4: know Pete. I spent like an hour and a half looking at Pete Buttigieg's website and his Instagram and his Facebook, and I was like, let me come to this with an open mind. You know, what if he's our nominee? Let me just, you know, let me be ready for this, right? Um, and I just did not understand the appeal. I mean, he had this one post where it was like this like, snow bank and there was like a farm in the background. And it was like Sepia tone. And then in the background it said, like, imagine the first day that Donald Trump is not president, Pete Buttigieg. And it's like, imagine what? Like, shouldn't you tell me what your program and your platform is? Like, shouldn't you tell me what's going to happen on day one? Bernie Sanders told me that he's going to undo all the executive orders that uh, Trump did attacking immigrants. Right? What are you going to do on day one? Um, and then if you go through the rest of his website, I mean, his like, Douglas plan is like three pages, right? This is his like plan for Black America. And it's basically like, we're going to give you microloans. Um, his plan for the Latino community is the same exact thing, it's like one paragraph on like immigration reform that means nothing and then it says we're going to give you microloans. Um, so, <laughs>
0: um, it, it, so it, microloans, it, that's yeah. what's going to so save
4: America. Right? I, I really do not know a single thing that Pete Buttigieg stands for other than himself. And and I think it's so sad that for for so many people, politics now in America has become kind of these like avatars of like what a culture war is and do you believe in bullying or do you believe in civility? Um, But politics is supposed to be about bread and butter issues. It's supposed to be about our values and our morals. Um, And and I think that Elizabeth Warren, and I did spend an hour watching Warren. Uh, And I will say I was moved. I was moved because she had regular people coming forward and telling their stories of pain and suffering and why it is that they needed transformative policies in their lives and why it is that our country should pursue those transformative policies. So I have to be very honest, I'm extremely afraid of what happens if Pete Buttigieg is our nominee. No Democratic nominee in the last 50 years has gone on to win the general election if they lose the youth vote. No Democratic nominee has gone on to win the election if they do not have major turnout from non-white voters. And I think what we saw in Iowa last night was young voters overwhelmingly preferred Bernie Sanders. And the non-white voters in Iowa, the few that there are, they were about 8% of caucus goers, overwhelmingly preferred the senator as well.
2: Sixty-two. So, in other words, it's frozen at sixty. Hey, what a, what an operation! And Mayor Pete still, ahead? <laughs> okay. still very much ahead. Yeah, but it's still at sixty-two. It's been, it was sixty-two percent an hour ago. Yeah. Thanks, Frank. Well, I think the other point
3: that we cannot lose here, and I, and I, I want to drill down on this a little bit more, as those of us who are very much aligned with what I believe that our values that are transformational, um, the 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 big takeaway is, is that. Mayor Pete has 0% support within the yes. black community. Like that, that part actually should be more troubling than anything. And can we, can, we, can we just be honest? When we think about the history of this country and who has been most impacted by white supremacy, like if you don't understand the dynamics of black and white, let's not rush um, to, to, to the front to try to figure out how to build a black, brown, white coalition. If we can't understand the dynamics of what has caused tremendous pain, for generations within black spaces. It's horrific. And Mayor Pete's record in South Bend mimics that which looks like what happened here in Chicago under Rahm Emanuel. But there's a reason why people are comfortable with him. There's a reason why. And they're comfortable with him because we want to move away from the conversation of what it means to have a deeply divided country that's based on race and class. And, and, and Pete allows people to hide behind that because he provides a different identity that people can then claim their progressive ties to. Yes. Right? And so this is why we have to be very thoughtful about like, how we move forward in this moment. The fact that you have a political system that will change the rules midstream so that a billionaire can enter the race while a black man and a black woman, even though I didn't support them, and a brown man, were not allowed to continue to move their campaigns forward. And then you have this mediocre white man um, who can barely hold together a city that quite frankly is half the size of my county district. (laughs) Only in America can a mediocre white man who can hold together a city that is half the size of a county district can come out ahead in a place like Iowa. We have work to do, (laughs) sisters and brothers, a lot of work to do.
2: That is well put, Brandon. <laughs> All right, Brandon Johnson. Uh, we could spend the rest of the evening bashing Mayor Pete, OK? Uh, but that's too easy. Uh, he is not going to the, the, the nominee. No, you cannot get the nomination. You and I have talked about this a million times without black support. So let's just that little pipe dream of Mayor Pete. All right, let's move on. Now. Uh, I like how you two are being uh, really respectful to one another, and to each other's campaigns. But frankly, I was very disappointed with the uh, uh, Bernie and Elizabeth show that went down in the uh, at that debate, uh, and the fact that they each were sending out their little subterranean messages to undercut the other, and then pretending they weren't doing it, like we we're in high school, you know. And so uh, let's each of you deal with it. Uh, I'll start. <laughs> I'll start with you, Brandon, first. Uh, and so I want you to address two things. Number one, uh, the wisdom or folly of Elizabeth Warren beaming out those messages that Bernie is a misogynist uh, who doesn't think a woman uh, uh, can uh, be elected president. And number two, the uh, subterranean messages that Bernie's people sent out, and they think they're slick, like they're not really doing it, uh, that Elizabeth Warren is, represents the elite uh, and would uh, is essentially a Republican. So deal with both of them.
3: Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, as far as like, who represents the elite, the last I checked, everybody on that stage has a better check than most of us in this room. And so, you know, this notion that somehow, and and listen, and this brother got two jobs, right? (laughs) And I've been people have been talking to me about that. That's a whole other story. Somehow, a black man working two jobs, got kids, is somehow a problem to people's democracy. Um, but 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 this notion that somehow that you know Senator Warren speaks to an elite class. Can I be very honest with y'all? Look, there there are individuals who pay attention early out in races that have the disposable income and time to look at people's plans. When I knock on doors in Austin or the 8th Ward on the south side of Chicago, it is very clear that there are a whole lot of other issues that people are thinking about day in and day out just trying to survive. And so there are some folks who get engaged a little early on because they have the ability, the disposable income and time to do that. And it's not uncommon for for most candidates to be able to speak to different classes, right? And this notion that somehow she speaks to the elite i think it's just another way to drive like you know division within the people who i believe that she is speaking directly to and and what we have seen overwhelmingly whether it's her immigration plan her plan for public education um eliminating prison uh, private prisons putting an end to school privatization investing billions of dollars into public schools that's a plan that's going to directly impact poor people so let's put that put that to rest, right? As far as like what, how politics moves in this country about someone's conversation privately that gets out, look, I'm not going to you know, condone, condemn, or judge anyone um, because I just find it to be silly. One of the things that I found, and, and I'm sure Carlos can speak to this as well, when I was running for Cook County Board of Commissioners, you all know that I was an organizer before or while I was running. And the massive school closings that took place that I organized people to fight back against, My opponent said out loud, if Brandon was such a good organizer, 50 schools would not have closed in Chicago. What I'm saying is, it's absolutely ridiculous. But people are going to say ridiculous things all the time. I think the real issue, which continues to come out, is how Amy Klobuchar, a prosecutor, um, is on record. And and, and some people actually knew that the dude that they prosecuted, there was no evidence to actually prosecute him. So I think we need to get out of this silly nonsense about what someone said in a private conversation. You all know what happens in private conversations. All kind of stuff is said. Not here to judge. I wasn't there. We need to move past it because there are real issues that we have to fight about.
4: Agreed, and I certainly wish that the Elizabeth Warren campaign had taken your advice um, (laughs) prior to (laughs) putting that out there. Um, You know, I I think that there was a sense that something had to be done to regain the momentum on the part of the Warren campaign, uh, that there had to be something to dull uh, Bernie Surge, uh, which started around the time that, you know, the the whole CNN, he said, she said, debacle. to be honest, uh, I thought it was a distraction from the important and real issues of the campaign. Uh, it's unfortunate the way that the corporate media picked it up and, and kept spinning it and spinning it for cycles. Um, one of my very good friends, uh, Marianella, who's on the uh, National Political Committee of the Chicago Democratic Socialists of America, are there any DSA members out there? Um, you know, she, uh, she framed the debate exchange this way, that essentially Elizabeth Warren went up there and said, girls rule and boys drool. <laughs> Um, and, and I think that, you know, at its very base, at its very, very base, there there is some truth to that messaging. And I think that in this country, when we think about messaging, we think about campaigns, we have to think about what is the most base message that's being received. And I think that's why I'm really worried about Elizabeth Warren as the nominee. I don't think she'll be the nominee, but if she were the nominee, I'd be really worried because when I was in Iowa knocking doors and I came across those two, uh, Elizabeth Warren canvassers, They were knocking a door just a few feet away from me. And they opened the door and the guy says, who are you here for? And they say, we're here for Elizabeth Warren. And he says, F, Pocahontas, and slams the door. Now, we have to keep in mind what is the campaigning that Donald Trump is going to use. But I think also as progressives, and I'm assuming most of us here in this room are progressives, have to also keep in mind what actually transpired for a huge swath of Elizabeth Warren's life. Now, I'm a descendant of people that survived indigenous genocide. Okay, we're on stolen land right now. And it's really onerous that a woman who was a Harvard law professor allowed herself to be misrepresented for years, for years, as the first woman of color law professor at Harvard. This isn't stuff that's being made up. This is stuff that is very well documented. At Harvard University, when Elizabeth Warren was a professor, she had to fill out a federal form that required you to put what your ethnicity was, what your race was, so that that could be reported to the federal government. And on that form, it very clearly said, do not check here that you're Native American, American Indian or Alaska Native, unless you are tribally enrolled and you have those documents. She's a Harvard law professor. Do you get what I'm saying here, folks? And she checked that form year after year after year, knowing very well that she did not have those documents at home showing that she was tribally enrolled. So there are a number of Cherokee people that have come forward and said that this is onerous, this is hurtful, and not just that, as Elizabeth Warren was still claiming to be Cherokee, At the same time, she was calling on activists protesting pipelines that were Native to be arrested and refusing to stand with that community. So I think as progressives and as someone that's a descendant of people that survive Indigenous genocide, I don't identify as Native, right, but I know that I'm a descendant of people that have survived Indigenous genocide. I think, one, it's very difficult for me to get excited about Elizabeth Warren, knowing what she's done, but also knowing the way that that will be weaponized and that will become the focus of the campaign. And she will lose the election.
0: Yeah, so Brandon, can you um, can you speak to that a little bit, respond and uh, this sort of gets into an issue of electability um and, and, and the 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 way, you know, if this gets weaponized, like what how how will her campaign deal with this? Kind sure. Of thing? Look,
3: there are black folks who who are who who believe that voting for socialism is gonna up 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 in their lives. Yes. So so for, for, for the Alderman to suggest that somehow that a racist is going to weaponize something towards a woman that's nothing new you know this is not about just simply who, who is who has like electability factors here and i get that this is what happens when we play out in politics but understand let's be very clear about something is that there are people groups who will constantly be attacked and demonized in this moment to ultimately create fear and divides between communities that, quite frankly, share a lot of values together. You have white rural voters who are voting for Donald Trump because they don't believe in socialism or they don't believe that the progressive cause that Elizabeth Warren has put forward, that all that is just just is there are handouts. And they're $18 billion in debt because of subsidies, which are ultimately government intervention, that the Donald Trump administration has not put forward. And so you have rural folks in Iowa and people who live in the, the, what is considered the urban area of Iowa that need the government to actually work on their behalf, and both groups are being made to be afraid of something that, quite frankly, bursts out of the tradition of my people. I mean, there's well documented of how the continent of Africa, the entire continent operated, right? And so, what I don't believe is healthy is for us to be afraid how someone who has a particular view of a woman is going to feel uncomfortable voting for a woman. That If if that is how we move forward, then they can make us afraid about not just voting for a woman, someone who is an avowed democratic socialist, or someone who is black, or someone who is gay. We're better than that. And whoever gets the nominee becomes the nominee. And yes, I'm very concerned about uh, what came out of Iowa. I'm also very clear that, if Elizabeth Warren secures the nomination for the Democratic Party, if our concern is how individuals are going to read into her being a woman or, or, or the misrepresentation of her group, then, then, then that is not the type of movement that's going to sustain us not just at the national level but at the local level. Look at what's happening to Kim Fox right now. There are people who are not going to vote for her because some dude actually could use a therapist and probably some medicine. <laughs> so, so let's not just dismiss like someone's ability to become elected because people are going to walk in fears. This country is very complicated. John F. Kennedy had Dr. Keene and George Wallace on his team. This country is what it is. And so if we're going to continue to move forward as a progressive movement, We have to be very clear about the values that we bring to this race. And having a woman on the stage right now that is overwhelmingly made up of white men who are well beyond the tax bracket that any of us will probably ever get, unless I get a book deal after this and go on a tour, blah, 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 blah. These are dreams that I have. But outside of that, (laughs) we have to continue to double down on fighting for working class folks and poor people and allow that to be our guiding principle. Go ahead, Carlos. Right. What
4: I would say is this has nothing to do with Elizabeth Warren being a woman. This has to do with integrity, and this has to do with the heart of who she is. Elizabeth Warren says she has a plan. She's supposed to be the wonky, technocratic politician who fills out those forms correctly and gets good government done. (laughs) For five to seven years at Harvard University, while she was a law professor, she filled forms out incorrectly to perpetuate a lie about who she was. And that lie not only harmed actual real people of color who were calling out Harvard University about their lack of diversity, and she was trotted out as the first woman of color, which actually, she was not the first woman of color. Later on, they hired a black woman to be a professor at Harvard Law, and she was the first woman of color. And to this day, in certain publications, they still list Elizabeth Warren as the first woman of color. But it also has to do with the fact that at the end of the day, she misrepresented who she was. And if we're supposed to believe that she is a wonky technocratic person that's gonna fill out the forms correctly and get good government done, how can I believe that? If she couldn't even fill out forms when she knew that she was not tribally enrolled. And so for me, I think that as progressives, I look at that and I say, that's a reason for me to prefer Bernie Sanders. But I also look at Elizabeth Warren's track record. She lived through the civil rights movement. She lived through the Women's Liberation Movement. She lived through the Gay Liberation Movement. She lived through movements where people of color and women and working class people were raising their voices and their fists up high. And she was a Republican to the age of 47. So you know, Elizabeth Warren loves to say, I'm a capitalist to my bones. And in capitalism, what are we judged by? We're judged by our credit score. So I'm a progressive, I'm a socialist to my bones. I'm a leftist to my bones. And so what's our credit score? It's what have you done for this movement? And Bernie Sanders, his entire life has been at the forefront of this movement. So I think that I, as a progressive, get to say I trust him to be the leader and the standard bearer of our movement in this campaign and in this election.
3: Look, I think ultimately, you know, Alderman, if you want to have a conversation about people filling out forms and talking about who they affiliated with within their party, there was an entire black group of people who also identified as Republicans once upon a time. So, again, to simply just characterize, and again, this is the and type I'm not sure i
4: support them for president.
3: Well, well <laughs> on, on, and all I'm saying is that there was a reason why black folks like Dr. King were Republicans. What I'm saying is these issues are far more complex, and if this room is going to walk away from this conversation about who has integrity and who doesn't, while kids are in cages. So let's have the conversation then, Carlos. Elizabeth Warren has been very clear about not just a black agenda, but a poor people's agenda. There's a reason why Bernie Sanders has not signed on to to reparations. There's a reason why he doesn't speak to HBCUs, and I'll never condemn him for that. I won't. I actually question the left movement who can't speak out loud about the importance of an entire group of people who have been marginalized, beat, raped, abused, stolen property, on and on and on for hundreds of years. And so if we're going to measure someone by their activism, because sure, there were some folks that took some arrests. Yeah, there were some folks that put their bodies on the line. But what's your agenda and what's your plan today that can actually right the wrongs for, for, for people who have been harmed by this white supremacist structure? And so look, if the conversation comes down to how someone fills out a form or whether or not they believe in reparations for black people, then we're going to lose. The conversation has to be bigger, sisters and brothers. And it's the co- type of coalition that, we, that I had to have running for office on the west side of Chicago in the western suburbs, where we talked about taxing the wealthy. And people in Oak Park who are more wealthier than anybody else in the district voted for me overwhelmingly because they actually believed in a message. There were things that come up in campaigns all the time, you all, that get spun. There are things that people do in their past that they're not proud of. And all of us have them. The moment we as people as voters begin to condemn people because of what they did in the past and not keep into account of how they have transformed their lives and made better decisions, then what kind of people are we? If you go back and read some of my college papers, I grew up in a fundamentalist black Christian home i hope those papers never come out
0: (laughs) so uh i I actually we're gonna throw uh we're gonna throw it open to the audience in a little bit because i know people are just bursting at the seams with questions but i just want to ask each of you guys to 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 take a couple of minutes and explain why can't these campaigns unify because it seems to me that it you know There's a whole lot of ground lost while the two most progressive candidates in this race are squabbling over the same kind of general range of voters out there. Um, So I think that this question like really just doesn't get discussed very seriously. And I don't know if it's an issue of like, these are people running for president. They have huge egos, they're not, you know, they're not interested. Somebody would have to then take a step back and they're not interested in dealing with that kind of issue. But for the greater kind of goal of moving this country in a more left, social democrat, whatever direction, what, like, what would be, wh- why can't these people just come together?
3: We can well, come together, and we will. And that's why on these... On the a single come, ticket? Yes. we, we Well, like, I can't... That's it, what I'm asking okay, you. Okay, well, it, that's it, what I'm asking. I, I don't get to make those decisions. What I will say, though, is this is why it's important that we, 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 we push our campaigns to be better around the issues that they're not as good at. Right? What I can say to, specifically, and I, I can't speak for the Alderman here. I don't know what his relationship is to the campaign. But I know that part of the reason why endorsements matter in this moment, they matter because this is where we actually get to have some influence. And that if campaigns, like whether it's Senator Warren or Senator Bernie Sanders, if they don't take some direction for people like Carlos and myself, then what's the importance of the, the endorsement? And what I've said repeatedly to the campaign, and they've responded to many of the issues around education, the black agenda, um, issues around, um, uh, as I said, public education and how we tax um, the wealthy, that these are areas in which the level of expertise that we bring to the conversation, particularly in Chicago, they influence. Here's why we have to come together. Senator Sanders' operation has to have a very honest conversation about what happened last night. If you look at how Senator Sanders' numbers moved from the first to the second, those numbers didn't move much. In other words, who he started with is pretty much where he ended up. There were a few folks that moved in his direction, but not enough. So when I say these campaigns have to come together, they absolutely do. There's a hardcore base that's going to rock with the senator, and that's powerful, and it's not enough. And so that's why I'm going to do everything that I can to push for the candidate that I'm supporting, that I believe speaks to the lens in which we have to see it through, in my opinion that when this is all said and done, how do we make sure that our operations of people who would have not necessarily rocked with Bernie Sanders? Y'all know that. There's no secret there. Folks who would have not necessarily rocked with Senator Sanders, these are individuals that I believe that if we can do this the right way, we can pull along if Senator if Sanders is the nominee. And I hope likewise, the polling you saw this, Ben, if you look at people who support Senator Sanders, I'm sorry, Senator Warren, Individuals who are voting for Senator Warren overwhelmingly are more likely than any other voter to vote for the nominee, whomever it is. Those are the kind of folks that I've been working with. That's not a bad thing, particularly because we have to grow our reach if we're going to win in local elections, particularly here in Chicago.
0: Thank you. So- Carlos, why can't there be a single ticket?
4: Um, you know, some months ago, there was a uh, early uh, debate, and afterwards, Senator Sanders and Senator Warren, who made our progressive movement so proud that night on the stage, were, like, yucking it up and smiling. Uh, and my wonderful, brilliant uh, older sibling, Jackie, who's in the audience, uh, she was like, this is our ticket, and she, like, posted a picture, and I was like, yes, this is our ticket. Um, <laughs> and um, I, I really... I think one of the interesting things is sometimes in politics we have to make it seem as like they're all good or they're all bad. No, I have serious issues with what Elizabeth Warren did. misrepresenting herself. Uh, I have serious issues with her background and her track record, and for those reasons, those are just part of the reasons why I prefer Senator Sanders. But I still think that she's an amazing progressive and amazing human being uh, who is a necessary voice in government and in politics at this moment, and I would love nothing more than for them to be on a ticket together. But that said, there's very (laughs) real reasons. Um, as to why I prefer Senator Sanders over Senator Warren, and I think that those are the reasons that we have to talk no, about we if we're going to find unity. No, no, no. The, the let, let me. Get, no, 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 no. This why is can't there be a, in a because ticket? there's fundamental differences in terms of their theory of change. Elizabeth Warren tells us that in order for us to change, you have to have a WASPy rich white woman come up with a plan and she's gonna go into Congress and she's gonna shake people's hands and then suddenly they're gonna be like oh my god your plan is so right Liz I read it 10 times I think you should change this and that and then we have social justice no it doesn't work that way okay Bernie Sanders understands that you need a mass people's movement you need people out in the streets. You need black people and immigrants and undocumented workers. You need young people and trans people and queer people. And he is actively, fundamentally working to build that movement every single day. And I'm sorry, he's not Barack Obama. I know it. He's got like dandruff on him. He's unattractive. <laughs> he's an okay speaker. Um, and he doesn't get the fawning the corporate media gave Barack Obama a lot of the times very early on in his campaign. But he's building that movement unlike any other candidate in this race. And I think what Iowa showed the other night was that what we're seeing now, because at the end of the day, what it's about is winning more votes. Bernie won more votes. That is the truth. And Elizabeth Warren came in third. And if you believe the polling and the entry polls, had Elizabeth Warren not been there, there's a possibility that Bernie Sanders would have increased his polling even more. So I think we're seeing right now that the conservative, moderate wing of the party is coalescing around Pete Buttigieg and his imagine the first day after Donald Trump, whatever that means. And you have Bernie Sanders leading right now and, and, and progressives and liberals coalescing around Bernie Sanders. And so and so, I think that we really have to have a conversation about how do we win our values and what Pete Buttigieg says, how do we win the tomorrow or the future, whatever. Um, and, and, and who can win? And I think that By every metric, Bernie Sanders is the more electable candidate, and by every metric, Bernie Sanders is the preferable progressive moral candidate.
2: All right, let's uh, get the uh, audience involved. Uh, We have, go with Frank first. We have a microphone.
0: Alderman Ramirez, sorry, Alderman Ramirez, so what do you think about Senator Sanders getting the endorsement of Eva Morales and Luis Inacio Lula da Silva for his, for running for, he has their both are their endorsements for his bid the president. Also, C- Commissioner Johnson, what do you think about Senator Warren's support for the U.S. back coup in Venezuela? And also, Trump is going to give Russ Limbaugh the Medal of Freedom and Presidential Medal of Honor. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a Frank.
2: lot. Uh, who, do you, who do you want to go first? <laughs> um,
4: so yes, left internationalism. It's beautiful. When I was out knocking doors in. Um, uh, Iowa, so many people were moved to caucus for Bernie Sanders because I talked about how he did not want to intervene in other countries, how he wanted to end the endless wars, how he wanted to make sure that our troops were home and that we were taking care of uh, you know, the, the things that we needed to take care of here. So um, I think that that's a powerful message. And, and I think the fact that you have left international leaders across the globe supporting him and rooting for him uh, demonstrates that.
3: Yeah, they, I'll just say it this way. Come November, there's a great chance, like has it has in the past, that 30% of folks who identify as brown will vote for Donald Trump. That's just what it is. Anywhere from 25 to 30%. I, I, the reason why I think that's important to frame, and this is not to to sort of escape the question around foreign policy. I think what I'm trying to offer, sisters and brothers, is that there are issues that we can look at and find some distinction between the two candidates. We can do that, and I think the Alderman has made it very clear um, how he feels about the senator, Senator Warren. The reason why I think that's important is that if we're going to win in November, if Bernie Sanders is the nominee, if we're gonna win in November, we're gonna need more brown folks voting for Bernie Sanders. We're also gonna need black folks to get excited and they're not, sisters and brothers. They're not. The, the turnout yesterday was abysmal. Like, that's what we have to keep our focus. I get these big rallies and the movements that people are talking about. But Carlos, you've run before. I've had shifts when I ran for office The rooms looked like this when we were knocking on doors. And I won by 436 freaking votes. Stuff is hard. So. Do I think that we have to do a better job at making sure that militarism, um, which is one of the evils that Dr. King described, that that doesn't become the, the prevailing thought as we move forward? Of course, I believe we need to eradicate militarism and capitalism and imperialism. But I think it's also important that we recognize that for the vast majority of folks that we are talking to every single day, we have to win the hearts and the souls of those voters. And you know what they care about? When we speak to the issues of poverty, people don't even think about left and leftists. They don't. They want to know what are you going to do for poor people, working class folks, to make life a little bit better for not just me, but uh, for the kids that I'm raising and my grandkids.
0: Thank you. Uh, There was a question over here. Hi. yeah, I'm a uh, gender nonconforming queer who thinks that Pete Buttigieg is a complete CIA shrill and not a service (laughs) to the community. Um, So I'll start with that, because I think it can (laughs) unite the question. Uh, But my question is not so much on the idea of electability. I have a question about pure progressive leftist principles and hoping that um, both of you can speak to that. Um, So my question is, how have both of your candidates' track records supported ending imperialism, ending bombing, maiming, raiding countries, um, and supporting imperialist coups, supporting (laughs) sanctions that are keeping people in poverty, keeping them impoverished? This is a matter of principle. I'm, I do not care about the electability in your answer. Thank you. Go ahead, Brandon.
3: Look, I think one of the big things that were important, I know you know, Alderman Rosa Ramirez was giving Elizabeth a hard time because she does, she studies. And for those of us who are teachers, I take umbrage an issue with, with, with his inability to recognize having a lesson plan is actually a requirement, sisters and brothers. Um, but. But the Consumer Protection (laughs) Bureau was important. Like She actually had to get that passed. She had to form it. She had to actually pass it. And then once it became a real bureau and an agency, white supremacy stopped her from running it. And why is that important? I mean, if you think about the economic harms, to your question, that have harmed people from a very basic level of just housing and access to loans and capital, not to mention how capital has dominated um, how globalism has expanded in such a way where folks can't even access jobs. Having that type of bureau and having those type of plans that you can actually move through Congress. Look, I have principles as well. I do. But I've learned in this last year that passing legislation is very difficult to do. It's hard. And so yes, yeah, sometimes you gotta shake hands with people who disagree with you. I passed an ordinance in, in April And we didn't get it enacted until the end of the year because of the rules-making process. Because somehow people thought that by giving the formerly incarcerated an opportunity to housing, that all of a sudden black folks were just going to spread throughout all over the county and just start running in white people's communities and buying their homes. (laughs) Seriously. And so what I'm saying is that her ability to take something that dramatic, and I know you all know about Dodd, Frank, and just the the awful and the horrific financial institutions have created in people and communities like ours. Um, and her ability to do that speaks to her ability to not just have a plan, to guide that through the legislative process so that we can actually begin to experience some relief for our people. Go ahead, Carlos.
4: I don't think someone answered the question. Um, <laughs> I love you, Brent. I love you.
3: Um, so, I didn't answer the question the way you wanted me to answer. And that's fine. Um, so I think
4: that um, you know Bernie Sanders by by no means is perfect when it comes to uh, you know his record on international issues. Um, but I will say that he did not vote for Donald Trump's military budget. Uh, I will say uh, that, you know, he has a long track record of standing with poor people's movements across the globe, whether it be defending the sadinistas uh, in Central America during a very critical point in time. Um, And he has has done an amazing job of, um, you know, uh, building bridges and, and speaking about it. I, to be very honest with you, am not the best at left internationalism. I love America. I love the American working class. Uh, I'm very focused on on local issues. I wish that I could uh, speak more to it, but I feel like maybe Jacobin Magazine probably has wonderful articles that will explain all about how Bernie Sanders is the best candidate on this issue.
0: All right. right. Uh, Next question. Where are we at? Over here? Okay. Hi. I guess I... Here, you
1: can do this. I'm not a good multitasker. I'm not going to film and talk at the same time. We haven't discussed not the elephant in the room, the donkey in the room. OK? We have not discussed how, yet, how the biggest obstacle to choosing the best nominee to be Trump is the Democratic Party. OK? And I am just, this, this election is really where I saw how the process that this private party makes us pay public tax dollars to do all their elections, how flawed it is, let, and, and corrupt. And we saw the corruption last time. And one of the most moving, I was a delegate for Bernie last time, and one of the most moving um, meetings I was ever at were people who were coming out to not only vote but to volunteer for him. A 60-year-old veteran who had never voted in his life before. A 40-something-year-old um, woman who was a server but who was changing her life and taking welding classes and was with her teenage daughter. And her teenage daughter said, "Hey, you know Trump is in this just for himself." I'm like, "How come you see that and no one else does?" So I guess what I'm getting at is like, let's look at last night, um, what Pete did, and you, this isn't even conspiracy crap. This is this guy paid thousands of dollars towards that app that was used last night that the Democratic Party bought, and so did the Nevada um, Democratic Party, and you know Warren suffered for that too for this problem. And it was Bernie's camp. And Carlos, you didn't say this, and maybe you didn't know it, or maybe you didn't want to say it, but Bernie's campaign is the one who stopped everything from happening. He said, you are not releasing these early votes, because we're going to have a meeting, Democratic Party. And him and his five lawyers, maybe I'm wrong about the five lawyers, but him and his five attorneys went and said, we have been tracking these votes. We had our own app. We had our volunteers in every caucus. So the point being is, for me, unity means You hold your own accountable first. Forget, I don't even want to talk about Trump until we get to the general election. We need to hold this party accountable. And I want to know what everyone's going to do on that end, people who support people with a D behind their name. Because I've been holding them accountable for years.
0: So your question is, how are these these campaigns going to hold the Democratic Party accountable? All right. Carlos, go ahead.
4: So I was at the DNC in 2016, as was Brandon, um, and it was the most corporate, gross thing that I've done and been at at my life. DraftKings, which is like the online betting thing, had like a VIP section booth in the corner. Um, the, uh, uh, was it um, BP? I think it was British Petroleum. Um, they have, it's like like it's like a, like it's this junket, like you're at the Oscars. And actually they hire the same people that produce the Oscars to put on the show. Um, and so there's like these like, if you're a delegate, you get to go to these parties at night and there's like an open bar. And most of the hard score, hardcore burning people were like, I'm not going to the horrible party. And I'm like, they've taken so much from us, at least let's get a drink, you know? <laughs> so um, they give us a swag bag when you get to this party. They're like, are you a delegate? And you're like, yeah, I'm a delegate. So they're like, okay, you get a swag bag. Um, and I opened the swag bag, and it's all RNC stuff. It's all Republican National <laughs> Committee. Like, there's, like, a little elephant, and everything's branded RNC. Um, and I, I think that's just really indicative of the way that our government is run right now. And I, I think that – and I, I caution to say the Democrats, because I'm a lifelong Democrat. I'm a Democratic committeeman. I am a Democrat, right? Um, but, but I think that it's, it's corporate Democrats and the Democratic establishment and party leaders right now that I really believe – are in a quandary. Do they choose their donors, their big, deep-pocketed donors that fund their fancy parties, that fund their campaigns, that fund their fancy salaries, and they would argue give them the money to get on TV, which is so critical to win, or do they choose their progressive base? I say choose the progressive base. Cut the bullshit out. And if that means that there's some rich people that are going to cry, like, did you see that wonderful Bernie ad where like the billionaire was crying and it was like billionaire tears? Um, if that means that they're going to cry, if that means that they're going to leave the party, so be it. But we have to be a party that stands for something. We have to be a party that boots forward a bold, progressive alternative that speaks, just like Brandon said, to the issues of poor people and working people. Otherwise, we're going to lose.
3: Yeah, I think accountability is important. What I find fascinating in this moment, though, for the Democratic Party right now, you have a socialist and a Republican seeking the Democratic nomination. Okay. So look, and this is not a shot at anyone in particular, but this is just the reality, right? And, and, and the reason why I bring that up is because the best way I believe the whole sister to your question because apparently people don't think I answer questions clearly enough. Uh, maybe I'm speaking too fast. Uh, maybe my plan is too thorough. Um, Over my head. Yeah, it's, which is possible. We'll, we'll, just, we'll, we'll slow it down for you, Carlos. Thank um, you.
0: Don't you guys say that me and Ben never did anything for you? Yeah.
3: So, the, to your question, the way you hold the Democratic Party accountable is by winning local elections. Look, I get it. The, the national elections are sexy. I get why people are energized for a national election, but the stuff that's going to impact us every single day, it's your state's attorney, because you also have a billionaire that is trying to buy that seat. Yeah. All I'm saying is, sisters and brothers, in the midst of us trying to figure out like, who is the more progressive candidate, at the end of the day, when Dr. King came to Chicago, he said, I've experienced better treatment, essentially, yeah. in the deep south than he experienced in the city of Chicago. This is a city that is rooted in deep racism where the state's attorney's office was sanctioned by the Democratic Party to torture black men and to put them in prison and this sister exonerated 80 of them. That's how we hold the party elected. We gotta elect more county commissioners, more aldermen, more state reps, more state senators. When we get an elected school board, even though Lori doesn't want that, we need to run for the school board. That's where the power is.
5: All right. There's uh, okay. Hey there. Uh, as a Gen Xer, uh, I spent a good chunk of the past four years with a mantra of, can we have somebody under 70? So uh, not to be ageist, but how do both of the campaigns, uh, you know, speak to that issue? And and uh, are either of the candidates doing anything, doing anything, to help develop a, a new stable of candidates to follow them who are not, you know, boomers?
0: Are you asking what? these candidates are doing to n- not be 70? <laughs> 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 just, because I don't know that if that's... To, to,
5: uh, to address both the, the issue of, of age, health, uh, outlook. Uh, like Look, just, I, I yeah. will
3: say to this, candidate development is important. And it's not just having candidates, it's about having people who can run field. People who can manage a campaign, people who can, communications, and so what I think is actually impressive amongst both campaigns is that there are an overwhelming number of young people who are working campaigns, who are gaining experience. It's not all about just being a candidate, and I, and I say that as someone who wasn't always a candidate, who worked on several campaigns before I ran for office, that's also important. When you look at what both camps are doing in terms of endorsing down ballot in local races, that's important. Elizabeth Warren has endorsed uh, Kim Fox, I'm sure, any day now. Senator Sanders will get around to doing that. Uh, but I know he's also endorsed people like Robert Peters on the south side of Chicago. Those, those are important endorsements. And so, though, to our sister's point, you know, being 70 is just going to be what it's going to be. And having been raised by someone um, who is now 76 years old, um, there's a lot of value that I still believe that they bring to the discourse. But it's also important that we get ourselves engaged and involved in these campaigns so that we can develop the necessary experience to ultimately win our local races.
4: Dick Cheney had his first heart attack when he was 37 and he went on to serve two terms as president. And um, you know, uh, Bill Clinton had a a very similar operation to the one that uh, Senator Sanders had uh, there's about 1.8 million stints, if uh, I read online correctly, uh, that are installed in American hearts, that are uh, uh, implanted in American hearts uh, every year, um, and Bernie's got two little stints in his heart, and they're keeping him alive, and we love them. Um, so um, I, I will say that uh, he's extremely healthy, um, and uh, you know he is, is built like an ox, and um, you know I, he has great, phenomenal healthcare, and obviously they're taking care of him.
0: It sounds suspiciously like <laughs> Trump's doctor.
4: <laughs> and Trump is still alive. How is he doing it? Eating all those hamburgers every day. Rich people don't I don't think don't Carlos die. is
3: answering the question. <laughs> <laughs>
4: okay, okay. So to answer your question, I'm just saying, get off the talking points. To answer, answer your the question, <laughs> there's this thing called the squad. And um, Bernie has embraced them uh, and they are working together and kicking ass and all of us are following the lead of AOC and not watching the uh, State of the Union tonight because F that political theater. So Bernie and his campaign uh, and the movement are doing a tremendous job of recruiting and supporting candidates. One of the great things about this campaign is that it's the only campaign that made 10 million phone calls in the weeks leading up to the Iowa caucus, calling into Iowa, calling into early primary states. Um, And it's grassroots leaders. Like Brandon was saying, I think that's such a critical point, that it's not just people running for office, but it's also people playing volunteer roles. That was made possible by people in their communities, grassroots leaders, learning those distributed organizing skills, getting that training from the campaign. So I, I think we're in really good hands when it comes to developing the future of the progressive movement.
0: There's a hand back there, Tim. Okay. Thank you.
3: <laughs> is this a question from the religious left? <laughs> Just,
5: uh, so my question, yes it is. Uh, my question is, is for Brandon because uh, Carlos got at this in his last uh, statement before we turn to questions. But uh, Brandon, you didn't really get a chance to respond. Um, you know, Brandon, and I have a, a deep respect for you, as, you, as you, know, um, of, you know. The organizing you did, the Chicago Teachers Union, as a rank and file teacher. I think that what your union did uh, changed the discussion on public education in this country by going on strike in 2012. It changed, we were having a very different discussion about public education before 2012, before you all went on strike uh, and won that strike and inspired the teacher strikes that have gone on all over the country. Uh, and Bernie Sanders' campaign, to me, represents. A campaign that is, de- that is dedicated to stoking exactly that kind of organizing in society, that kind of bottom-up change, that kind of militancy among the working class. And Elizabeth Warren, as much as I respect uh, many of the proposals that she's put forward, uh, hasn't made that kind of stoking of bottom-up militancy as essential to her campaign. I believe that that's how social change happens in this country. I believe that's how your union wants social change in this city, in this country. And it doesn't seem like Elizabeth Warren is as dedicated to making that happen as Bernie Sanders' campaign is. So I'm wondering uh, what you think about that.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, apparently, according to Carlos, uh, Senator Sanders had a 75-year head start on Elizabeth Warren because she was a Republican, apparently, up until a couple of weeks ago, according to, to, um, uh, to, Car- to Carlos. Um, so let me just... Pick I don't want people to lose like, sight of, of that work that you mentioned, Micah, of the hard work that we had to put in in order to build the type of movement that we're seeing across the country. And I'll be very candid with you all. As successful as we have been as a teachers union, fighting back against oppressive policies, we've always led through the lens of black liberation. We have. Because the people who have been most impacted by it these issues and black children and black teachers. What you're hearing from Elizabeth Warren, no, you may not hear the same sort of um, response um, or, or even um, a, a type of energy that speaks to a level of militancy um, that, that I think all of us in this room appreciate. But one of my greatest moments that I've had as an organizer, the Chicago Teachers Union is that when we begin to organize protests and marches down Madison and Cottage Grove, that changed the conversation. But you know what also helped shift this city? Is when those marches begin to go down Irving Park Road. And there are folks in this room who were with me when we did that. And what I'm saying is that for a black man to have a radical idea that I'm in good company I take it very seriously because black men who have left views and they have radical views have paid a very, very, very hard price in this country. And so what I hear from Elizabeth Warren, it's not just this hardcore leftist militant response, though I appreciate that. What I also recognize that there are people in my community that have a very different view of that time in our history Where brothers like me, you know how many times people have come to me and said, Brandon, be careful? We don't want your career over or ended. You have a lovely, beautiful family. Now, do I ever feel threatened? No, I don't. But am I conscious of the fact that having a black agenda, Micah will always be militant and radical in this country. It will always be. And whether Bernie decides that he wants that to be at the forefront of his conversation, that's up to him. The fact of the matter is, he doesn't lead with it, sisters and brothers. He doesn't. Doesn't make him terrible. It doesn't make him unelectable because white men in this country will always be more electable, period. But having a black agenda that speaks specifically to the liberation of black people, make no mistake about it, sisters and brothers, that will always be militant and radical in this country. Thank you.
0: Hey, okay. Timmy, how, many, how much time do we have? one one more question yeah okay so whoever's got it better make it good (laughs) all right the reader zone
2: i got a i got a question for carlos and the bernie side uh
4: bernie's answer to how are you going to do this is he's going to have a he's going to make a
2: revolution i want to ask at what point is it fair to start asking where's the revolution it did not overwhelm the 2016 primary it did not overwhelm Pete Buttigieg. Is this something that only, can
4: only happen in the context of a general election? I think one, it's important that we not have self-fulfilling prophecies, right? And so um, if I wake up in the morning and say, it's not here, right? We don't have the mass people's movement yet. We didn't win Iowa, although we won the largest number of votes in Iowa, so I will say there's the revolution. Um, that that sets us up for failure, right? And so ultimately what Bernie is putting forward is the most important organizing tool in the history of this world, and that's hope, right? That's the belief in a better tomorrow. And when you ask me where's the political revolution, Bernie Sanders has raised the most money out of any candidate in this race. And you know the people who are donating most, the largest employer, it's Amazon warehouse workers. It's Walmart workers. It's some of the most oppressed and exploited workers in this nation who are giving their precious dollars week after week, month after month to fund Senator Sanders' campaign. When you want to ask me where's the political revolution, it's the satellite site at a union hall at a meatpacking plant outside of Des Moines where 15 people show up and 14 of them, the meatpacking workers, all vote for Senator Sanders, and their immigrants. When you want to ask me where's the political revolution, it's the thousands of people that helped made those 10 million calls. So the question is not where's the political revolution. The question is can we win? Can you turn it into And, votes? and, and the answer is yes. He got the most votes in Iowa. He got the most votes in Iowa. That's a win. Winning,
2: winning by 1% or 2% is not going to
4: Winning is winning. Winning is winning. And the question is, is who's gotten most votes? Who's gotten the most votes thus far in this presidential primary? And the answer is Bernie Sanders has gotten the most votes thus far in this presidential election. Absolutely. Yes
3: yes it's starting to get like eighth period in here like it's just like random like no one's raising their hand anymore the only thing that i would add to what what the alderman said you all are absolutely nuts this is awesome free at last thank god almighty um look the revolution is Jeanette Taylor, sisters and brothers someone who went on a hunger strike and became older woman and has endorsed bernie That's the revolution. No, no, no. So this is what I'm going to disagree with Carlos about. No, the movement is not about raising a bunch of money for someone to run for president. If that's the takeaway you get from this conversation, I want you to hear me because I don't want you all to leave out of here because this is not about convincing you to vote for someone. People have already made up their minds. I'm trying to offer some context, you all, to the real struggle that's on the ground. Garfield Park, where I represent, has been described as a third world developing nation. I'm just saying, some of the wealthiest people in the entire state live in my district, and I have an entire community that has been described as a developing country because violence and poverty per capita is akin to Central and South America and places on the continent. And so when a black woman puts her body on the line, she didn't do that for Bernie Sanders. Be very clear about it. None of these mofos were clear about public education before the teachers' union. Bernie Sanders had the wrong line in 2016. He got better this time, as he should have. We should expect people to get better. But the revolution, brother, is local. I'm not putting my eggs in the basket. Look, I get it. I know I am a surrogate. I get to speak all over the country on behalf of Senator Warren. I don't know if Carlos gets that opportunity for Bernie Sanders. Just we saying. have more surrogates. Where's so. your, where, I'm just saying, where, where's your influence, though? All I'm saying is, where's your influence? Wow. If, if the influence... Is simply about being able to post something online that I'm saying we haven't built the type of power that speaks to the local revolution that we're having right here. So Jeanette Taylor mm-hmm. should be a surrogate and Carlos should demand that. I don't care if Nina Turner, whoever else, all these other surrogates I don't think being a surrogate, surrogate is are, power. All I I'm know, saying like, is that the revolution is local, sisters and brothers. And the revolution can't mm-hmm. be simply confined to how much money we raise for a presidential election where we have people right here in the city of Chicago that, who are dying to That's
4: not what I was saying. I was not saying that the revolution is your ability to raise money. But I think the question is, is, how can we make our grassroots demands? Because that's the revolution, the mass people's movement, right? People coming forward and black youth saying... We want no cop academy in the city of Chicago, no new cop academy being built, right? It's undocumented people saying, we want to stop deportations, right? And Bernie Sanders is the only presidential candidate in this race that has lent his campaign apparatus to strengthen those movements. So when he had his massive rally at Navy Pier, who did he put on that stage but a no cop academy black activist? When he released his immigration platform, he was the only candidate to this day to say we're going to dismantle ICE and we're going to stop deportations on day 1 a candidate, that is I'm a there. campaign a black that is powering woman who the was on the
3: stage who needs money for college right now and look all i'm saying is this is not an indictment on on our brother i want to be very clear about it but yes that black sister was on the stage and the very next day she had a gofundme page because she couldn't afford to go to college all I'm Bernie saying Sanders is. will make college free I'm gonna, for all. I'm intervene all right. I, I think here. you're you're missing have the point. Some here, mercy on our it's local.
0: But I'm speaking rat- of it star. being think speaking of local, uh, before we wrap up here, I just want to remind everybody that on March seventeenth this is when the Illinois primary election is. This is when you guys are going to get to cast your vote. You know whether you're voting for Bernie or Sanders or or uh, or Elizabeth Warren or, or whoever else. But more, but 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 probably more importantly, this is the day that you get to elect or re-elect the state's attorney. Uh, a clerk of the Circuit Court of Cook County, which for the first time in twenty years, is not going to be Dorothy Brown okay so and and there 's a bunch of other races on this ballot there 's state senate seats there 's state house seats there 's congressional seats that are up in the air so uh, at, as you prepare yourself to vote on March seventeenth Remember that there are resources out there to help you navigate the ballot. The Girl, I Guess, Progressive Voting Guide is coming out this coming Thursday. So look out for that on social media. Look up Stephanie Scora on uh, Facebook. Um, It'll be floating around. Look out for that. Uh, Read the Reader, which is out every Thursday since 1971 for free. Um, And uh, as far as me and Ben go, we have (laughs) If you don't know already, we have a Facebook page now for First Tuesdays. It's First Tuesdays with Maya and Ben. Look it up. Um, you You can learn about the upcoming shows. We don't have a show here uh, coming up on the first Tuesday of March. Uh, we have a different event planned with the reader uh, on that day, so look out for information about that uh, on on social media. And then on April, we're back at, in April. We're back at the Hideout, and we are going to have guests from. Uh, it's going to be a show about police accountability. We have our guests are going to be from the GAPA and COPA and um, and CPAC uh, uh, camps in terms of. Uh, visions for police reform. I don't know if you all saw, but uh, the, as of yesterday, there was this big announcement about massive, massive restructuring in the Chicago Police Department. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like the conversation around what's happening with police reform has kind of gone a, a little bit off the radar, so we're going to bring it back in April. First Tuesday in April is going to be all about that. Ben, any last thoughts? Uh,
2: I w- it's a shame the show's ending, because there was a very Uh, pragmatic uh, question embedded in what uh, Mr. Lenahan over there had to say, so I just want to say we're going to continue this discussion. I know uh, with Brandon and Carlos trying to figure out um, what if it's candidate Sanders or candidate Warren can do to broaden the number of people who vote for him or her beyond the type of people who come to see First Tuesday at the height. I think that's what uh, Mike Lenahan was uh, sort of saying there. So that is an ongoing discussion we're going to have. Uh, what's that? What's that? All right.
0: Yeah. So thank you all for coming. Next, to, next, uh, so March first Tuesdays is not going to be here. Uh, we'll have a, we'll have a show at the Promontory on the south side. We're having a little ro- road show there. So uh, information about that on social media, and it'll be a free show. So uh, come with all your friends. And uh, April we'll back we're back here, and uh, we really appreciate all of you coming out.
2: Friends. <laughs>